Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. All right, let's jump into another episode of Success That Lasts. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing value acceleration. It's often referred to as exit planning. We're going to cover a lot of great topics. We're going to start by defining what value acceleration is and isn't, the viewpoints of success, the three legs of a really strong plan, Warren Buffett's insights to business valuation, as well as cover eight of the different options that one has to successfully exit a business. The Exit Planning Institute regularly conducts various studies. In their most recent owner readiness study, 99% of owners agreed with the statement, having a transition strategy is important for both my future and for my business. However, the same respondents behaved a little differently. 79% of the owners had no written transition plan, 48% had done no planning at all, and 94% had no written personal plan. I suspect that it's because we think about exit planning and value acceleration in the wrong way. Exit planning is simply business strategy. Value acceleration is just good business planning. Exit planning combines the plan, the concept, effort, and process into a clear, simple strategy to build a business that's transferable through strong human, structural, customer, and social capital. The future of your business, your family, They can all be addressed by a great exit plan through creating value today. This process asks and answers all the business, personal, financial, legal, and tax questions involved in transitioning a privately owned business. It includes contingencies for illness, burnout, divorce, and death. Its purpose is to maximize the value of your business at the time of exit while minimizing taxes and ensure you're able to accomplish all of your personal and financial goals in the process. Great planning is going to help you navigate a variety of competing viewpoints. In this process, sometimes personal goals compete with financial goals. Sometimes financial goals can compete against business goals. So it's critical that a plan seeks to create alignment across personal, financial, and business goals. However, viewpoint complexity isn't the only challenge you're going to have to navigate. There's distinct value systems that can also compete against one another. Management might have specific set of values, owner values, and even family values. This is where the value acceleration methodology can be so helpful. It provides simplification to an otherwise complicated process. If we begin with the end in mind and identify three legs to the strategy, they would be one, how do we maximize the transferable value of the business? Two, how do we ensure the owner and their family is financially prepared? And three, How do we ensure that the owner has a personal plan for what's next after the business? So let's go back to the first leg of the strategy. 
Why do we want to maximize the transferable value of the business? That's pretty obvious to most of us, but transactions are going to occur across a range from low to high. Let's visualize a bell curve. Where within the bell curve would you want to sell your business? Traditional accounting systems are set up to provide regular feedback on our tangible assets. Yet, intangible assets are typically the direct driver of our business's value and overall attractiveness. Value acceleration helps us measure the values of your intangible assets against other organizations within your industry peer group. We'll often talk about the four C's to describe the intangibles of your business. Those four C's would be your human capital, your customer capital, your structural capital, and finally, your social capital. So within the four C's of your intangible assets, each category is going to have specific levers that we can pull and focus on to drive enterprise value. So let's unpack human capital for a minute. We all know that people matter. We all know that the team matters. It's pretty intuitive. But how would we be more tangible in terms of looking at this? We could start by looking at the team's talent and competency relative to the peer group or competitors. We could then look to experience and tenure of the employees. How do you stack rank against others? We could look at the team's overall management skills and depth. Far too many businesses start and stop with the owner alone. We could look to the team's professional and technical training. And finally, we could look to the team's customer and market knowledge to more objectively evaluate how does our human capital stack rank relative to our peers. So before we dig any deeper into the details of the value acceleration process, let's take a purposeful pause to talk about why any of this matters anyways. We've all heard the saying, an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of cure. Generally speaking, I don't find too many people that disagree with that sentiment or that approach to life. So let's look at the next 10 years of what the exit environment is going to look like for current clients. Well, according to the Exit Planning Institute's 10-year forecast, there's going to be over 250,000 U.S. companies attempting to exit before the year 2030. I'm going to slow down here. There's going to be a lot of numbers. So of the 250,000 U.S. companies that are going to attempt to exit, their cumulative value is over $3 trillion. However, of the 250,000 companies interested in exiting, there will only be 50,000 that are truly market ready. And of the 50,000 that are market ready, only 30,000 are actually going to transact. So that's an interesting conversion rate right there. 20,000 that wanted to won't transact. So of the 30,000 transactions, 16,000 are going to occur with meaningful concessions, which means there's only 14,000 that are likely to sell at their desired price. That's fascinating, right? The top of the funnel is 250,000 businesses interested in transacting with a cumulative value of over $3 trillion. However, when it actually comes to where the rubber meets the road, of the 250,000 companies, only 14,000 are going to exit on their terms. So if this data represents the metaphorical windshield, what the next 10 years going forward could look like, we can also look to the metaphorical rearview mirror to understand what the last 10 years have looked like in terms of valuation. So within the private industry, it's sometimes challenging to understand what, how valuations occur and at what ranges. So if we turn to GF data and look at over 1,900 private company transactions that occurred over a 10-year period of time within a value of 10 million to 250 million, we can then begin to understand how the valuations were working over the last 10 years. So more specifically, the vast majority of those 1,900 transactions 
occurred within a EBITDA multiple range of 4.5 to 7.7. So we can look at the company's profits cash flow, EBITDA, and understand that 71% of those 1,900 transactions occurred within that EBITDA multiple range of 4.5 to 7.7. So because companies are transacting across a multiple range from 4.5 to 7.7 times their EBITDA, it helps us understand why value acceleration even matters in the first place. That process that focuses us on growth while aligning our business, personal, and financial goals is critical. It in integrates the three legs of the strategy to maximize the transferable value of your business. It helps us to ensure that you're financially prepared, and it helps us ensure that there's a personal plan for what's next. It's a plan that's grounded in action, not merely a static piece of paper. It promotes the use of a collaborative team in an engaging process. It provides us a roadmap to what success is as defined by you. Warren Buffett seems to have a great understanding of how value acceleration works. Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway has a tremendous amount of experience buying companies. Berkshire's typically known for allowing its portfolio companies to continue to operate fairly autonomously. Buffett obviously has a strong understanding of how valuation works. He insists, however, that his managers are financially literate on valuations. He said, quote, Managers and investors alike must understand that accounting numbers are the beginning, not the end, of valuation. So Buffett knows there are some important intangibles that are the real drivers of value for an owner. Value enhancement methodologies seem to have the greatest impact over a three to five year period of time. Private companies can meaningfully increase their valuation during that time frame. Value is ultimately a function of the level of sustainable cash flow and the expected rate of return adjusted for risk. So ask these three questions. How sustainable is your business? How predictable is your business? And how transferable is your business? So let's run through a quick hypothetical. We're gonna reverse roles. You're gonna be a buyer versus a seller of a business to help us understand what value acceleration looks like in practice. Now, as a buyer of the business, you've asked an investment banking team to help you find specific targets. They've whittled the list of acquisition targets down to about two companies. They both are 25 years old. They both sell the same exact niche product. They both have $3 million of EBITDA for $30 million in sales. They're both experiencing marginal market growth. However, here's where the differences come in. Company A has no product development program. Company B has a robust product development program. Company A has original and worn equipment. Company B has new state-of-the-art equipment. Company A has a thin, weak management team. Company B has a deep and experienced team. Company A doesn't have a written strategic plan. And Company B has a highly developed strategic plan in writing. Company A's information system is old and antiquated. Company B has a state-of-the-art system. And finally, Company A's financial reporting is unreliable. While Company B has a highly disciplined financial system full of controls, including an audited financial statement. As a buyer of a business, at face value, they looked identical, but as we dug deeper, there's meaningful difference in the value you're willing to pay for company A versus company B. Often when we're talking to clients about driving additional EBITDA, the assumption is we're talking about cutting costs alone. That's actually a misconception. You can seldom improve quality by cutting costs, but you can often cut costs by improving quality. The wrong cost cutting can actually impact your long-term growth and reduce your overall long-term value. Some will turn to M&A to drive additional growth and ultimately additional value. 
And though that can be a viable strategy, it certainly isn't without its risks. Acquisitions on top of a weak infrastructure typically causes failure. You know this firm loves Patrick Lencioni, and he's once said, at its core, all authentic growth depends upon customers wanting more of what the company offers. Any other drivers, pricing gimmicks, heroic marketing efforts, forced acquisitions are ultimately destructive. So all this talk of value acceleration can be rather confusing. If we wanted to simplify it and categorize value maturity, we could identify five specific stages. It's identifying value, protecting value, building value, harvesting value, and finally managing and preserving the value that is harvested. In general, there are about eight different ways to harvest value. These are kind of the categories of exit. Big, big buckets, we could categorize them as inside options and outside options. The four inside options typically include intergenerational transfers, management buyouts, sales to existing partners, and finally, sales to employees typically done through an employee stock option plan or an ESOP. The outside harvest options or outside exit options include sale to a third party, which is obviously the one that many people think about, recapitalization, which is essentially taking a little bit of debt to create some liquidity around your equity, initial public offerings, which obviously don't happen all that often, and finally an orderly liquidation. And each of these options have specific pros and cons, and it makes sense at the beginning of the planning process to identify your ideal exit. So if you wanted to spend any time talking through the pros and cons of any of these eight options, don't hesitate to reach out to your DELAP advisor and we can coordinate a conversation. But at a high level, let's unpack one of these just so you understand what we're talking about. So let's look at a management buyout. So this is when an owner sells all or part of their business to the company's management team. And the management team uses the assets of the business to finance a significant portion of the purchase price. So there are numerous pros. So one is continuity. The other is you have highly motivated buyers that already know the business and love the business. It helps preserve key human capital. It should preserve the company's culture. It's planned and timed better than most other the options. And it can be combined with private equity for additional growth resources and maybe some additional upside. However, some of the cons might be management sandbagging, specifically if the valuation of the company goes up through great performance. It can create distractions internally. The threat of flight increases, which can be a source of coercion of the owner. You're trying to deal with illiquid buyers. Typically, the price is lower and the deal terms are less attractive to the seller. It's heavier seller financing, which also means additional seller risk. And the managers aren't always great entrepreneurs. Leading a business is obviously different than managing a business. So each of these eight options has its pros and has its cons. And if we can clearly identify the specific objectives that you're seeking to accomplish, we can zero in on the options that are most likely to deliver the outcomes that are most important to the owner. So if you could sell your business for 33% more with a little additional effort and intentionality, wouldn't you? Let's circle back to the data we covered earlier. We looked at 1,900 private company transactions that were within that range of 10 million to 250 million in valuation. 71% of those transactions occurred within the EBITDA multiple range of 4.5 to 7.7. So let's just take a hypothetical middle market business that's generating $3 million of EBITDA. At a four and a half times multiple, that owner would receive 13.5 million gross. However, if the intangibles of human capital, customer capital, structural capital, and community capital were all improved 
and could ultimately drive and support a six times multiple, that same $3 million of EBITDA would now generate more than $18 million at transaction or at sale, 33% more or $4.5 million more. And so what we're talking about isn't small dollars. These are big dollars. It's Pareto's law, that 80-20. What are 20% of the activities that could generate 80% more of that additional upside value to your business? So if this topic or any of the other adjacent kind of related topics are of interest to you, don't hesitate to reach out to your advisor here at the lab to coordinate a conversation. So until we do it again, be well.